technology needs to be who we are and what we do. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that means it's not, it's not its own item. It's, it's literally involved in every process in every structure and every portion of the company. That's part um, of the DNA. Yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly it. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Peyton Kringley. He is a business analyst with LS Black. He leads his company in all technology and innovation efforts. Peyton recently wrote an incredible article highlighting the difficulties of technology adoption, specifically in the construction industry. And best part about it is he provided insights from psychology research to help support his thoughts. Welcome to the show, Peyton. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to uh, chat and talk about an article and other things. Well, let's do it. So to start off, I, I hear you grew up with a, a family-owned construction company. would love to, to hear about that and how it led to you yourself getting into the construction industry. Yeah, so my, my family um, owns a, a material supply company out in the Dakotas, um, Prayer Supply, Inc., a little shout out to them, but um, so I kind of grew up um, kind of in the the business atmosphere, the entrepreneurial construction, you know, seeing the whole nine yards. Um, and then I went to uh, University of Minnesota and kind of was trying to levy out what I was going to do. And like most, they kind of, you know, you kind of look at your family and see what they do and you naturally kind of, you know, scope that out. And I went into business and kind of saw the overlap within the construction industry and and business. Um, and was super interested in it and, um, you know, took that path, picked up construction management, um, started off as a project engineer, uh, for a company interned, and then was a project engineer at LS black. Um, and that's kind of where it's led me to now as, as a business analyst working on the technology front for the company and kind of leading that charge. Yeah. Awesome. I, I always love hearing people's journey into the construction industry and, and what pulls them in. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, there's always, you know, all sorts of different routes, whether you come up through the trades or, you know, whether it's family related or, or whatever it may be, it's kind of cool to see, um, yeah. something that's, you know, at the heart of, of America is, you know, construction. So. Absolutely. It seems like there's a ton of family connections. That seems to be a, a very prevalent theme that, yeah. that pops up in a lot of people's stories. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I think so. Uh, so for those who haven't read it, uh, a couple weeks back, you wrote a, a great article that I mentioned in the intro, uh, Tech Profiles, Attitudes Towards Technology. Do you mind giving kind of a, a brief summary of that article? Yeah. So my article's uh, purpose was to kind of create a context of the, the issue of a technology adoption, um, you know, generalize it enough so that the general audience can read that and go, okay, yeah, you know, our business has issues with you know, purchasing a software and utilizing it to its full capacity. Um, and then I took it down a notch in, into the micro of the micro world of what uh, construction is and, and then try to even highlight it even more prominently by, by showing, you know, us placed in the MGI index as um, second to last within, you know, all industries mm-hmm. um, kind of just really highlighting, you know, where we lay within, within the context of all industries and then within ourselves Um, And then I laid out, you know, the technology adoption um, mindset and the market adoption and stuff like that. And then I rolled it down into trying to figure out, 
what specifically uh, from an individual standpoint where I can, you know, I can make a change within my, you know, within my company, within my industry, you know, give insight. Um, so then I was, you know, searching around and I found uh, Colin DeYoung from the University of Minnesota in his uh, research on technology adoption. Um, and these three, these three factors from a factor analysis were generated um, from this study. And I thought it was really interesting because it kind of aligned with what I was thinking um, as, I, as I laid out in that article, um, kind of showing the different kind of sections of people and their attitudes towards technology. Mm-hmm. So it's always been my interest in, you know, how do we, how do we, uh, how do we get past there? You know, and how do we, how do we take the things that we're, we're uh, given to help, you know, the people that are having issues with, with adopting technology? Yeah. Anything kind of surprise you in the response or reaction to the article since you put it out there? Yeah. So I've gotten a lot of, um, I've gotten a lot of feedback on it um, from anywhere to my family, obviously within, (laughs) within that. And then, you know, people within our, my organization, my old faculty director at the university of Minnesota uh, reached out to me on it. Um, Yeah. So I I think, I think I, I did that article more for me to structure my thoughts and convey my my thoughts and my mental processes in a way that was attainable for others to kind of comprehend and read. Mm-hmm. Um, it did take me some time to kind of, you know, generate the the entirety and then obviously structure it in a way that was, you know, attainable for others to to hear. And, and now I think that because that I've done that, I've been able to to compress that and, and explain it in a way like now where I'm talking about it. So. Out of the technology profiles you spotlighted, which were confidence, approval, and interest, what do you find is the most prevalent in the construction industry? So specifically to the construction industry, I think, um, you know, within that standard deviation of from the, the tech enthusiasts to the pragmatics and to the conservative laggard skeptics, mm-hmm. I think that the, the number one issue, or not the number one issue, I don't, I wouldn't say it's an issue, but the number one area of focus for me is obviously confidence. Um, but I, I think that that confidence leans into approval. And I guess I can take this time to kind of just quickly go over all three of them. And I'll start with approval. Um, so approval is basically buying into the process, the voluntary, you know, what your, your people are excited for technology uh-huh. and getting, getting them there. Uh, um, you know, they have to be confident enough to use it, or they have to just think that it has utility. Um, and I always think a good coaches, you know, get their players to buy in regardless of the X's and O's. And then they figure the X's, X's and O's out later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get people to the technology front and buy into it prior then to putting them in positions, you know, to succeed. Right. That vision casting is huge. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think, um, you know, my takeaway from this was to sell. And, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm in the group of people that are trying to explore and discover all these innovations. And then on the other hand, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's realistic for my group of people to operate. Yeah. And, you know, so I have to constantly be this filter of selling. So that was my comment of selling. So I'm getting sold things. I buy into it. Then I have to re replicate that and sell it to my, you know, workers, which is, you know, incredibly, incredibly difficult. And that's part of the reason why I try to figure out ways to explain and, and 
and understand the people that I'm, I'm going at, you know, talking to, I, I guess I'll touch last on confidence. Cause I think, I think it creates more conversation to construction, but I'll quickly go over interest. Um, this is the one I scored perfect in, which is to no surprise, um, you know, within my career progression and kind of my divergent interests. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people in, in the organization have an extremely high interest in technology and they're kind of locked in their little cog, you know, try, kind of do their own process. But, you know, giving people the, the ability to explore the, the, these environments within technology and experiment really kind of stretches the limitations of the systems. And I think that's, you know, on that deviation, I think that's the far left side. That's the people that are kind of the visionaries, the enthusiasts, mm-hmm. you know, the people having conversations like this and, and what gets them excited about doing this. Um, you know, and I try to group those people in my tech committee and, uh, you know, I, I try to, you know, then that crafts subject matter experts and it gets tech centered brains around, around, uh, all the different divisions, breaking down silos within the company and, and stuff like that. So, um, that's, that's the interest one. Um, and then lastly, confidence, we need to put people in places to succeed for them to be confident. And to me, this is one that I obviously am trying to work on the most, especially with like field staff and other members in the construction field, you know, construction team is to make, make it so that they know that they can do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've all been impatient when we're working on things like, let's say we're putting together, uh, you know, putting together a couch and you're just like up to here on, on using the tools. And I think that I relate to that in, in some capacity and understanding, you know, people want to throw the iPad out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of it is because they haven't had exposure to technology. They've kind of lived, you know, in in, in some, some regards, they've lived their whole entire life doing a, a thing a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's this tidal wave of exponential growth within the technology world. And now they're just, they're, they're nearly forced to use it. Right. Um, so I think that each, each of the three factors, I think has some utility in, in trying to, you know, figure out how to combat and, and help people um, cross the, the tech front. How fluid do you think that the different technology adoption mindsets really are? In, in my article, I, I pointed out it's kind of it's kind of bad uh, podcasting talk to talk about a graph. But um, on one end, you have your tech enthusiasts that are they're extremely theoretical, and they're you know they're they see what's on the horizon, what's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, we have the people that are going, I don't know if that's implementable. And to me you know, as, as important as innovation is in, in technology, so is the implementation and being realistic and pragmatic about how we go about that. Um, and I do think that you can, there is some fluidity in understanding that, you know, you can be interested and you can, you know, you can be nervous about using something or you can, you don't have to approve on every single system. It's just that you have to find some commonality in your company, in your industry, and and be as pragmatic as possible. And that's kind of what my article tries to attempt to do. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, 
and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTI.com and let them know we sent you. How have you found kind of some maybe best practices on how to encourage those people that, that need a confidence boost with technology? How do you encourage them that the, the tech isn't as, as scary or um, unattainable as they might think? Yeah, I think I think to me, it's it's partly a security thing. I think some people are, are nervous that they're going to break it or mm. that they're they're not, you know, they don't have the competency to do it. Um, and I really try to one, you know, be with them while they're doing the process, showing them, you know, here are all the different functionalities and features, you know, mm -hmm. being there with them gives them some sort of some, some security along with giving them some exposure to it. Mm -hmm. So you give them kind of the, the guardrails to figure out, you know, how to do things. And then you just, you compliment them. You tell them, you know, you're, you're more brilliant than you think you are, you know, like, like there's, there's field guys out there that are breaking down the most technical systems in construction and then trying to tell me that they can't, you know, use a, you know, an iPad or whatever it may be. And I'm like, you, you don't even realize how brilliant you are. Right. Like, right. Um, you know, technically. And, and I think that just getting, getting people exposed to that and in that exposure can warrant a higher anxiety ceiling while using the, while using the tools. Mm -hmm. What's the impact that you see on the technology mindset within different generations? Generationally, the older generation had issues more so with their confidence than the younger. And, you know, I, I think part of that is because we have, for the first time ever, we have all these generations were in the workforce at one time. I think it's like five or something, you know, mm -hmm. first time ever. It creates a pretty big distribution of, you know, competency in, in a lot of these things while one group was literally born with an iPhone in their hand, right. um, you know, and the Moore's law, you know, the, the doubling of processing power every 18 months is kind of a huge driver because it's exponential while we're kind of stagnant, you know, in our, in our uh, generational growth. So, you know, it, we're always going to have that battle of younger generations being much more suited to use technology um, and just because of lack of exposure but I do think that, um, you know, we, we can definitely marry the, the two concepts of having people that are very fluidly intelligent with, with technology and software and things of that nature, while having these experts that have been in the business for, you know, 40 plus years and their knowledge that they've, they've obtained. Um, and I, I think this, this topic obviously is a big one right now because of the whole ageism and I want to avoid that whole concept. I think, I think it really is groups of people didn't grow up with things, but they're, they're still have a huge utility and they can do, you know, they can use technology at some level. Um, but this, this will, this will increase as, as we, you know, live longer and younger generations are born with, with AirPods in their ears. And <laughs> um, I, I do think that combining that, you know, the technical knowledge get, you know, from, older generations with, you know, that crystallized knowledge with the fluid knowledge will be, will be where, where we, uh, we create an art. So. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to jump up on a, a bit of a soapbox here that uh, regular listeners will 
listeners will uh, have heard me say before, but I'm a huge believer in the concept of reverse mentoring. And that's where, you know, you get somebody that has the real world technical how-to knowledge, pair them with somebody that is great with the technology, have the real world person teach the tech person what it actually is like in the field and how to actually do it. And then you have the, the tech person do the same for the technology and you're creating that kind of cross pollination between those different mindsets. And this it's not necessarily a generational thing. It could just be the, the comfort level. Uh, you could have a millennial that totally hates technology and doesn't want to do it. Um, so I think creating kind of those, those conversations and even those, those mutual understanding that you, you see the other person as just that a, another person <laughs> with different set of skills and different set of strengths. And you can really help exponentiate uh, the, the growth of the team and just the ability to be able to tackle more processes and projects because you need, you need the tech and you need the real world experience. I, you can't I, get away with I, yeah, I completely concur. I think, I think that that really flips, um, you know, some, some structures on its head a little bit because you got, you know, their ever reverse mentoring kind of really, it, it, it allows for more collaboration and equal footing and, you know, strengths and weaknesses and, and really getting the best product out of each other. And I think, like, I, I think that that was summed up perfectly yeah. with what I was trying to talk it, about. It allows yeah. for that respect for the, the other perspective as well too. Cause I, I think especially as uh, more younger generations come in and uh, kind of demand the, uh, the the culture aspect of you know more collaboration and more inclusion and just hearing those different perspectives, I think that that's going to become hopefully more prevalent because people are going to be pushing for that mindset shift. Which yeah, it is a mindset shift. It definitely is. I think, I think of course that, you know, taking things is like the, just the, the confidence concept and applying it to, you know, people aren't confident in things that they haven't done before. You know, everyone's right. a fool until they're an expert, yeah. it, you know, that it requires that. And um, yeah, I think, I think that as we continue to get older and as we have more and more technology adopted in our lives, I think that, that, yeah, that warrants a lot of, a lot of, uh, equal footing with, with that. So. Yeah. I loved your line just there about everybody's a, a fool to their, an expert. Cause I think it takes a little dose of humility when you're trying to implement new tech with whatever comfort level people are at. They don't know as much as if you're the expert on the technology, they don't know as much as you. So have a little humility and yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the first to to eat my piece of humble pie when I don't know, you know, it's, it's not about, it's not about knowing everything. It's about knowing that you don't. And, um, like, I think, I think that that's what launched me into technology because I wasn't afraid of just feeling completely, you know, you know, like a fool, you know, and, yeah. and I've learned an extreme amount and, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a really cool, cool, uh, place for, for the construction industry to, you know, in the next handful of years to, to get to that place. So. Yeah, for sure. So once you kind of have a awareness of, of where you fall on the spectrum, 
what should people do with that? I think, I think um, once you know where you fall on the spectrum, you know, there's, there's two, there's kind of the self reported, you know, looking at yourself and going, okay, well, I am extremely low in interest. That doesn't surprise me. I could give two craps about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say it's confidence and you're, you want to become more confident in it. Like that's one of your goals. You know, you take, you take what I basically had thought of and tried to articulate and expand your own thoughts on it and try to say, okay, if it's exposure, how do I get myself to incrementally, you know, work on that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and guarantee that the other two, the other two factors go up as well. You know, if, if you're exposing yourself to something, you're naturally going to wonder how it's working and you're either going to have a opinion on whether you accept it or not. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think they all kind of work in tandem and the goal is for approval, you know, whether you approve of it or not, whether you're on one end and you want to know how it works before you approve of it, or if you're on the other end and you're, you're kind of more, you know, just, you, you've never exposed, you've never been exposed to it. So you can't really make a, a decision on it. And that's, that's kind of where I would, would give people the insight to, to try to try to figure that out. And then if you're a company trying to implement a program, you know, you, you can think and cater specific groups. If they're, if they're low in interest, you know, maybe it's not about giving them a test environment. It's about just, just, they want to know if it works. And if it works, you just show them how it works and what they're saving money on. And that, you know, I always, I always tell people low in interest that, or low in interest, low in approval, trying to sell to them. I go, you spend 14 hours on average, uh, 14 hours a week, uh, just looking for files. You know, it's just stuff, stuff like that, just to try to persuade them into savings and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP, MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit evolvemep.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, I like it, making it real to them on what the the real world ramifications of it is. Yeah. Uh, So in, in my view, one of the biggest kind of stumbling blocks to tech adoption is really stems from a, a lack of true collaboration and, and good communication. And that's most likely due to the, all the silos that we've created yep. in, in the industry. Uh, first, uh, can, do you agree with that? Am I, am I on the right track there? And then if so, how do we go about correcting this? Yeah. So I think, I think um, construction is a, is a really specialized industry. And specialization also means silos. It means mm-hmm. that you're 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 creating systems of highest and best use. We have subcontractors that you know operate within their system, and they rarely reach across, you know, to to collaborate and figure out better solutions. They're kind of you know using their skills to be effective as possible, and rightfully so. I mean, we need people to do the best versions of what they're doing. Um, 
but like I'd said, that that causes all sorts of conflict with collaboration and trying to to reach across those silos and really create commonality of conversation and try to you know remove remove such the the stringent barriers on on those operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you think the culture of the the company kind of comes into play and, and impacts tech adoption? Yeah, I think I think making technology not like a isolated on an esoteric island where, you know, that's the tech guy in a closet and he plugs in cords and has no I have no idea what he does. Yeah. Um, I think that in all reality, as as a project manager uses subset skills and finance and you know HR and trying to manage everything within the project, technology is a subset, you know, component to it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that people also need to be excited about the opportunity to innovate and make their lives easier and make the lives around them easier. Um, you know, and I think that tying back and echoing onto the approval thing, um, you know, the most spirited and enthusiastic people should be approving of your systems first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then it trickles around them. But one component of it is like, what I always find interesting is, is also getting the people steering the ship to be involved. And at LS Black, we've, we've, uh, my, my boss, he's a CFO and he had said that technology needs to be who we are and what we do. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that means it's not, it's not its own item. It's, it's literally involved in every process in every structure and every portion of the company. It's part um, of the DNA. Yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly it. So I think just, just having, you know, that mindset and framework, I think really, you know, allows for, for the implementation at every level. And then I also think like, like back to everything with a cord can't be classified as technology <laughs> and everything that doesn't have a cord is technology. I mean, I, I think I struggle most with just defining the terminology along the lines of technology, whether it's technology, evolution, innovation, um, all these different kind of keywords that kind of just get thrown around that just lump right back into technology. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I always just think about how people use iPhones every day, but no one ever thinks that the people with iPhones are tech guys. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's adopted. It's, it's a part of the subset part of their lives. And I think that getting there is kind of the end goal. Yeah, for sure. So how would you go about helping to foster that innovation? Um, I think like you had said about collaboration, I think, I think broadening your range of resources automatically allows you to configure highest and best use outside of, outside of just your, your world. Um, so I think one technology allows those pathways to, to communicate and collaborate at a, at a way higher rate. Um, sure which, which is extremely prominent. And then, you know, get, you know, encouraging collaboration, I'd, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And I think people would be amazed too, as they share how they're using the software with other people or whatever tech they're using, the other group may have a different use case for it, but may be able to speak into, oh yeah, I'm doing this with it. But have you thought about doing X, Y, Z that may seem totally outlandish to the group that originally started, but then they think, oh, well, it's a different perspective. Yeah, I I didn't I never would have thought about that, but that's a great use case for it. 
no, I think that that's exactly, you know, when I, when I try to define the, the terminology of, of innovation and, and where that aligns and, and what also is trying to be effective and, and kind of, you know, evolve within your organization and your process, you know, it's a balancing act between the two. And, you know, that, that collaboration component allows, allows companies and divisions and, and industries and, and things like that to kind of look over, look over the edge a little bit and go, oh, you guys are using that for that. You know, mm-hmm. we could totally use that, you know, or that's what you call that term. Well, yeah. we call it this. And, it, you know, it's as simple as just finding commonality of vocabulary that can, that can be super powerful, I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. So you've mentioned the words innovation and uh, evolve or evolution uh, a couple of times. Can you kind of unpack that a bit more of, of what's the difference between those two and, um, and just expand on that for me? Yeah. So uh, one of the things I'm, I'm working on is trying to actually articulate that in a way that's, you know, to me, understandable. But to me, I think evolution in itself is kind of more convergent and reductive. And I think it, it involves reorganizing resources to be effective. Um, and it's kind of like reduction of waste within a system. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to eliminate all the things that don't work to be the highest and best use. And each iteration of that creates generations. And that's what we call, you know, out of evolution, we have the iPhone 10. Um, yeah. and, and that's kind of like if you, you download a software and then they come out with a new version and that new version kind of debugs and updates and just makes incremental change that makes it faster or smaller or bigger or whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, that, that can be confusing too, because you think of innovation and innovation is, it's not that the iPhone isn't innovative or doesn't come out with new releases that are innovative. It's that the, the reduction within that system is the evolution part to me. Um, and then in innovation adds new features and it replaces old systems with new things that may include that system. And then another thing that's even better. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it's a system broadening its range of use instead of the opposite where evolution gets rid of everything that it's not. Does the innovation then come first? Like, are, are you innovative? And then you take the whatever innovative idea and start to create those incremental changes for the evolution of that concept? Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to why I think it's a subtle art of, of a combination of the both, because while you're divergently creating as many options as possible, you're also removing the options that aren't possible. Uh So you have to, you have to create the options at some point, you have to create the new thing, or you have to, to move laterally in the, in the silo to, to see, you know, collaborate cross horizontally before you build the thing up like in a silo. Mm-hmm. So to me, those are the, those are the two um, elements is as you're building upwards, you're building a silo because you're creating something that it's not, or that you're eliminating the things that it's not to create something. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, if you want to add features to it, you have to kind of understand what the features are that you're adding to it are. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an abstract, you know, topic to, to, to explain, but I think, I think that, you know, what ends up happening is we, we create these silos that are extremely specialized and they have the highest and best use, but let's say the mechanical contractor, you know, moves into the electrical space and understanding both of those probably generates some new solution because 
they're able to broaden their skill set mm-hmm. um, and, and become more innovative. I think that I think it's a it's a balancing act. And the reason I say that is because the openness to range may seem wasteful to the people that want to cut the waste out, while the people that are reducing the potential solutions may not like it because it may feel stultifying or stringent and it, it lacks, it lacks all room for innovation and and improvement. So it's Mm -hmm. a balancing act of those two. Hey, innovators over the last year, hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry. I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place. And there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. For sure. I imagine that it really loops back to what we were talking about earlier, that in order to have that effective, you have to have good collaboration where you're getting outside input to figure out what is useful, what is not useful. I know me personally, I can get so involved in my own project. I get way too close to it that yeah. it, I like get my blinders on. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, this is creates, the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> you create a cognitive bias around where yeah. your domain is. And then, you know, just take someone from, from somewhere out to, to look in and go, wow, that doesn't make any sense. And um, I think that a lot of times it's a balancing act of those two, because you obviously have to make what you're working on, the best version of it possibly can be, you know, to remove everything out, but it may need another fresh set of eyes that are outside. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I think that aligns a lot with where a lot of delivery methods are kind of going with, with like the DevOps or the design build, they're kind of the agile grouping. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of putting the designer, the builder and the operator under one umbrella and kind of removing those those, uh, those handoff silos that are, that occur that you're compressing information and then the next person rebuilds it and then they compress and then it rebuilds where what ends up happening is you put everyone under the same umbrella and the subcontractors working out of the same model as the architect. And there's, there's a one-to-one conversation happening constantly. Mm-hmm. And just, just getting that can, can create some consistency and commonality and um, you know, what the architect may think in theory would work may not be what the subcontractor knows to work, you know, and, right. and it's just getting that conversation to be held for commonality that, that can solve so many issues. Yeah. I'm more than agree. And I think that's uh, been an area that's been lacking historically in the industry is just simply having those conversations and a, a space to really hear the other person and, um, you know, approach it with that humility that we talked about earlier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think we need to explore the landscape of problems and solutions and then also like find and make decisions on those and build them up. So I do think that 
we're never not going to have subcontractors that are specialized in what they do. You know, they're, they're going to think that there's a way it's no different to me than when you go see a surgeon, the surgeon is going to recommend surgery because that's what they do. Right. Or if you go, if you go to a physician, they may recommend something else because that's what they do. And right. the, you know, you could view those as two separate silos, but then get them in the room and they can discuss the commonality between things and really, and really collaborate on a solution. So yeah. that's the way I envision it. I agree. Uh, so what gets you kind of most excited about technology or, or something that's kind of piquing your curiosity? Oh man. I, I think that there's, there's all sorts of, of things that I'm kind of interested in, in particular, um, you know, following, following organizational structures is one that I'm interested in as far as like looking at like a, a Tesla or an Apple and how they, they try to, again, break down those silos and not try to build out divisions. I think that that's an extremely interesting concept, but yeah. at the same time, I know how useful hierarchies are in structures and things in that nature. There's a balancing um, act there. Yeah, exactly. It, it goes back to what I was talking about. Um, yeah, no, I, I think there's all sorts of, you know, I, I think of things in a business sense a lot of times, um, obviously construction related, but also, you know, operational and stuff in that nature. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be excited for on, on the technology front. I mean, just, you know, reading about how, how, uh, you know, we're using technology for the vaccination, you know, creation and, and just stuff in that nature. It gets me really excited to, to read something like that, con comprehend the concept and go, okay, where else could that, that process, you know, lie along? So I don't know. What about you? What are you, what are you most excited about? Uh, well, I, I really like your answer of going outside of the industry, even of where you are and, and pulling in all the cool stuff that's happening outside of AEC and figuring out yeah. how that, how that looks and how that applies to AEC in general and construction in specific. Um, I'm excited just about the, the sheer possibility and potential that is out there right now. I, I think construction is really at the, the dawn of a, a great age of construction with so much tech coming in so much, uh, you know, their own industrial revolution kind of taken off here that the potential for construction to look and act and, you know, be radically more efficient in the next 10 years, I think is, is strong and it's, it's there. And I, I see a lot more people kind of latching on to that vision and buying into it to start creating that kind of tidal wave coming in. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's I, awesome. I completely agree. I think it's, it's exciting to envision a world where the construction industry adopts a lot of, you know, you know, similar um, operations to, you know, related industries, manufacturing, you know, other things in that nature. And just knowing that it is possible for us to adopt those things, but also just what excites me about construction is, is the traditional aspect to it of, of where it could be and what it'll look like, because, I don't think it'll completely, it'll completely uh, unconserve its, its, you know, integral structure. I think, I think it's a cool, a cool balancing act. Like I mentioned so often in this, in yeah. this interview, I think it's cool to envision what could be, you know, whether it's the, the Tesla of, of the construction industry and what kind of products we make and, you know, the sustainability factor and all these different 
all these different things that we can we can progress on by just getting people in in the right room right like like yeah. we had said to, to create solutions and i think technology creates uh the pathways for that at a much higher rate and mm-hmm. we're seeing it now i mean we're having a conversation uh you know yeah miles apart from each other which is awesome yeah for sure i really truly believe that in the the next couple you know decade or two you're going to see the innovation leader companies like a Tesla or Apple have been, you're going to see construction in that mix as well. And there's going to be some construction company that's going to pop up and and take that mantle. And I, I think that's really cool. The, the, the potential to be the tip of the spear is, is right there. And no, I think yeah. we're about ready to see it. I completely agree. It excites me and I, when I see that, you know, that index of a second to last it just, it just shows it to me potential. It's, it's what it means to me. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more information? Yeah. So you can, you can find me on, on LinkedIn, um, our Peyton Kringley. Uh, I'm going to try to generate some more articles and I, I'd like to, you know, have more conversations with people like yourself and, um, really stretch, stretch my limits of thought so that I can, can create a better, you know, product of, of thought for others and, you know, that collaboration component. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, our Peyton Kringley, you can shoot me my, my emails on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm open at any time. Um, and yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, final question, what does innovation mean to you? Yeah. So innovation to me means that we're identifying the problems while generating as many solutions to those problems and implementing them back into the real world. Nice. That'll do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Peyton, for coming on. I'm excited to read more of your articles that you're going to be putting out there. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it a lot. Now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. When thinking through technology implementation, it is crucial to get the buy-in from your team before you roll out the technology. Take the time at the start to answer their questions and make them feel comfortable. Oftentimes, that is about exposing them to the tools. Peyton had the great line saying, everyone is a fool until they are an expert. It takes a dose of humility to implement technology. Second take, innovation is great. It's no secret I'm a big fan. However, as Peyton reminded us, it is important to keep in mind what is actually possible. Figure out what is the realistic version of innovation. He had a great take on my innovation question saying, innovation means we are identifying the problems along with as many solutions to those problems while implementing them back into the real world. Final take. It is helpful to look outside of the construction industry to see how others are embracing change management, new technology workflows, and the digital transformation. We just might learn something if we keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating.
Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.